Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at our Southwood campus. I want to welcome you to Grace. Uh, if you're new here, we're especially grateful that you've joined us this morning as we begin a new year. Uh, I, we were off last Sunday because of New Year's Day, and, and honestly, it's, I, I got a little itchy. Like I, I've missed being here. I missed being with you, and so I'm glad that we're back together. Uh, I'm excited that we're beginning a new semester, that in just a week or two, uh, we're going to have uh, both services up and running. We're going to have a lot more college students in our midst. Uh, so buckle up and go to HEB now, uh, because the time is coming where you will no longer want to venture forth. Uh, but this morning, uh, before we step into our spring series, so over the course of the spring, we're going to be studying the book of James, and then we're going to be doing that on Sunday mornings. We're also going to be doing it in our men's and women's Bible studies and in many of our community groups throughout the week. But before we get into that, we're spending these first couple weeks, uh, I thought it would be helpful as I was praying and studying and preparing, uh, the Lord kind of led me to, to kind of come to the basics, to come back to sort of some of the foundations of who we are as a church and who we are as believers, some of the foundational truths and, and admonishments and commands that God has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what it, look, what, what it means that for the Lord to, to prepare us for purpose. That's what we're going to see. And it comes down to really a, a core question that a lot of us have in our hearts and in our minds when we talk with other people. Like a lot of times when we talk with people, we want to know their purpose. We want to know maybe how they've prepared and where they're headed. That's a lot of times our questions. We ask our, each other a lot, like, where are you from? Where are you going? Right? What do you do? And it's because we recognize on some level, okay, this is sort of the, this is how you find a few data points in someone's life to determine their trajectory. I, I felt this a lot as a freshman at Texas A&M. Because in every single conversation I had my freshman year of, of freshman year of college, every single person I meet, you ask basically these two questions. You ask, "Hey, where are you from? And what's your major?" And what we were asking each other over and over and over again was really just it's this trajectory-setting uh, kind of exploratory process. We want to know, okay, where where are you headed in life, and where are you coming from? And you you actually ask this question so much. I asked this question so much in college freshman year. I, I began to realize that there was a, a very broad trend in the answers to those questions. Because basically, if you went to Texas A&M University, uh, you know that a lot of the people that are there, a lot of the students, they're coming from Houston or Dallas or San. San Antonio. That's kind, of, that's kind of the main draw area. And so there are a lot of people that came from other cities, but never, no one had ever heard of it. I'm from Duncanville. And we're like, oh, okay. Uh, that sounds really interesting. Um, I don't know where that is. And so what people would learn to do, the trend was, is that if you weren't from Dallas or Houston or San Antonio, you would just tell people where you were from, but you'd relate it, you'd say how far it was from one of those places, right? So you'd say, oh, I'm from Duncanville, 10, Texas. It's four and a half hours from Houston. You'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that narrows it down, right? <laughs> I'm from Denver. It's about 12 hours from Dallas. Oh, okay, now I, now I get it, now I get it. But you would have to relate it to those kind of understood points on the map. You would ask each other, where are you from? You'd also ask people, what are your, what's your major? What's your major? And, and when I started as a freshman at a I was an accounting major. And so what I found was that as I answered that question, as people were like, oh, what's your major? I'd be like, oh, I'm in accounting. Generally, that kind of carried a certain connotation, uh, and eyes would just sort of glaze over. We're like, oh, what are you majoring in? Oh, I'm in accounting. Oh, yeah, debits, credits, like assets. Oh, geez, you know. <laughs> Is there someone else here? You know, like that's... 
That's generally how it would go. To the point where my freshman roommate is actually now our college pastor, Ben Biles. So we, uh, we were both accounting majors, and he stuck it out. I bailed after a year. But we, we were started in accounting together. Uh, and it was such, it was such a like, difficult thing to get people to still like, want to be friends with us when we told them we were accounting majors uh, that eventually we changed tact. And people would ask us, they would say, hey, what, what's your major? And we started telling people, we'd be like, actually, we're graduated. We've already graduated from Texas A&M, but we work for the university, and we're going through a typical freshman year as a part of sort of an internal audit process. <laughs> and then they'd be like, really? would be like, no. <laughs> I'm an accountant, and I'm weird, obviously. <laughs> like, that's... But there were a few people that never were like, really? And then we never saw them again. So I'm assuming there are some people, class of 2010 at Texas A&M, that really think that quality assurance at A&M University is very high, very, very high. But we learn to ask these questions. We learn to answer these questions. And these are questions that we still carry with us when we ask each other, like, oh, where are you from? Or, oh, you got kids? Or, oh, you know, what do you do for work? How long you been there? And we ask these questions because we value trajectory. We value knowing how someone has prepared for the purpose that they have. And this morning, we're looking at the preparation and purpose of a biblical leader, a man named Timothy. And when we look at the life of Timothy, and as we look at how the Apostle Paul described Timothy's life, what we see are these really clear, preparatory, and then purposeful elements that God gave to Timothy. And my hope is that as we read about this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, so I forgot to mention we're in 2 Timothy 1, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, go there on your phone, uh, we'll be in primarily 2 Timothy 1. And what we'll see is that as the Lord kind of unveils through Paul the way that he prepared Timothy for a certain purpose, I think what we'll see are some universal principles that actually apply to us. And I think through Timothy's trajectory, we can better understand God's desire for the direction of our lives, even today. And so as we read 2 Timothy 1, we're going to see kind of these three main elements. We're going to see the people that God gave to Timothy to prepare him. Then we're going to see the gifts that God bestowed upon Timothy also in preparation of ultimately the goal that God gave to Timothy for his life and for his ministry. And again, as we read these things, I'm hoping that we'll see themes, we'll see how this connects to us even today. So if you read with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're starting in verse 3. And we see that Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he says, I'm thankful to God whom I've served with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you in my prayers as I do constantly night and day. Paul is, has a deep and abiding love for Timothy. We learn in Acts 16 that Timothy actually came from a, a blended family. His father was Greek and his mother was Hebrew. And so we don't know about the faith of his father, but we do know that his mother became a follower of Jesus Christ, that even though she grew up in the Jewish faith, she recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the promised one, he was the Christ. And this was, some, this was a faith that wasn't shared by only Timothy's mother, but also by his grandmother. And so whenever T Paul entered into Timothy's life, uh, they got connected, and Paul began to disciple and raise up Timothy, and Timothy actually joined Paul on a number of his journeys, a number of his missionary journeys, where he's, he's preaching the gospel and planting churches, until eventually Paul actually deploys Timothy and, and plants him at the church in Ephesus, a, a church that Paul helped start. And so as, as Timothy t leads in the church in Ephesus, that's where he is when Paul writes to him this letter, or both letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. 
And so as Paul's writing to him, he's saying, I remember being with you, and I'm remembering you in my prayers, and I'm so thankful that God has put you into my life. And he goes on in verse two, or sorry, verse four. He says, and as I remember your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. For I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure is in you. So Paul is, again, just expressing his love and, and, and compassion, his devotion to Timothy. He says, gosh, I, I wish we could be together. He phrases it interestingly, right? He says, I remember your tears, and I wish I could be with you so I could be filled with joy, right? Like, oh, I just love watching you cry, right? Like, that's just the best. You get that, like, weird blubbery thing. You're like, boo, boo, boo. You know, he's like, that's... But there is not just Paul loving to see Timothy cry here in view, but instead what we see is, is an intimacy and a, and a love and a, and a vulnerability that they shared with one another. And Paul's saying, I, I long to be with you to, to enjoy this deep relationship that we have with one another. He says, and I recognize that this faith that you have, he says, Timothy, remember where you're from. Remember that this is a faith that you didn't just create on your own. This isn't a faith that you just came up with or stumbled upon. He says, this was a faith that was alive in your grandmother and in your mother, and I'm sure now is in you. Paul's reminding Timothy of the preparation that God had get done in his life, of the people that he has. I, I remember... You know, one of the first best pieces of advice that my wife and I received as we were preparing to be married, uh, we were doing premarital counseling. We talked about in-laws, right? There was a whole week of premarital counseling about how do you deal with your in-laws? And I remember that our, uh, the couple that was leading our premarital, they gave us this incredible insight where they said, you know, they're like, man, it, it could be difficult at times, right? Maybe some of us experienced it just over the last few weeks, where there's like, you know, I don't know, differing philosophies of parenting, or there's different views on what life is all about, or maybe there's different views about this issue or that issue, and, and there can be conflict, and there can be frustration, there can be unhealth for sure in those relationships. But what our mentor couple told us was they said, we want you to remember that there's always an opportunity for you to be thankful for your in-laws. Why? Because they produced your favorite person in the whole world. That's what they did. And yeah, they've got flaws, and yeah, they've made mistakes, and yeah, maybe, you know, things have drifted, and there's other influences in your spouse's life other than their parents, for sure. But remember, your favorite person is the product of those two people. Just remember that and be thankful for that. Paul's telling Timothy, he says, I want you to remember that God has been laying the groundwork for you for generations, that, that you're not just this unbelievable, all of a sudden occurring miracle, that you've come through a lineage of faithfulness, of devotion to God himself. Be thankful for that. And remember that you need other people. I think this is a great reminder for Timothy. I think it's a great reminder for us that we need other people. God has not designed us to walk through life in isolation. He's not designed us to follow him in isolation. He created the church as Jesus departed. He told his disciples, I want you to be getting together in remembrance of what I've done. I want you to be joining together in mission on, on sharing the gospel about me. He didn't send them as individuals. In fact, when Jesus was on earth and, and deploying his disciples, he always sent them in at least pairs because he knew, God knows, that we need other people. We need each other. We need to use the gifting and the abilities and the, the, the passions. The diversity that God has put within his church body is something that we should always be taking advantage of, something we should always lean upon, an interdependence that is good and healthy and, and, and helps us flourish and thrive even as individuals. 
I, I, my wife and I, I feel like I see this all the time in our marriage. We've been married for almost 13 years now, and so we've had a lot of times and opportunities to learn dependence on one another. And it's something that even, I was officiating a wedding over the break, and so uh, up in Nashville, and so we decided, we were like, hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna load up all three kids in our minivan, we're gonna throw in the suits and the suitcases and all the stuff and the snacks, and we're gonna drive to Nashville. And which is, you know, as Google flies, about 12 hours from here. And when we decided to do this, I was like, okay, this is going to be a lot, but we can handle it, right? Our kids, our daughter's eight now, our sons are almost six and four, so we were like, okay, we can totally do this, we can totally make it, let's pack it all up, you know, this is going to be great. It's going to be a family road trip, never done anything quite like that, not that length of, of drive. And so in my mind, I'm like, it's going to be exciting, um, and it's just going to be something that we'll just, we'll see how it goes. And, and that's because a lot of times I kind of like to shoot from the hip and kind of make decisions from the edge, you know, on the edge of my seat. Uh, but I, I just was like, listen, I'm just going to, we're just going to figure it out on the fly. My wife, though, is thankfully a planner. Because even as I said that, yeah, we'll figure out this 12-hour drive on the fly, some of you already were like stressed. Like, even though you know I'm back. And you know I lived through it. You're still like, that was, oh, no, 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 no. And that's, that's thankfully the way that God has designed my wife, Susan. She was like, as soon as we decided we were going to drive, she's like, all right, we're buying things, we're preparing things. Like, she was, like, putting things in certain bags for certain nights because we were breaking up the trip a little bit. She's like, we're going to have this bag for this place and this thing for that. We're going to, you know, arrange the trunk and arrange the car seats in all these certain ways. She arranged a, a, a grocery pickup for us in Nashville when we got there. She's like, okay, we're going to get there about this time, so we'll go up. We can get all the groceries and take it to the uh, Airbnb and all this stuff. I was like, Whoa. That's amazing, right? And it was great. I was so thankful. Like, in my mind, I was like, if we're missing something, we'll just go to Walmart. I don't know. Like, they've got Walmart in Nashville, right? Or Piggly Wiggly or something. Like, we'll figure it out. But thankfully, my wife planned it all out. And I was so thankful. I was so appreciative for the way that God designed her and gifted her to actually put in the thought and planning that our family desperately needs uh, for things like that. And all of us, we have our own gaps, we have our own abilities, we have our own strengths, we have our own weaknesses. And so God has designed us purposefully to function as a body. Jesus talks about us as the body of Christ. We should be his hands and feet. Paul talks about how some of us are ligaments and some of us are ears and some of us are eyes and we all need each other. God has designed us to need other people. But the problem that we often encounter is that our lives become so full of responsibilities that they push out relationships. Because responsibilities and relationships, they always struggle. They're both good. God gives us responsibilities, but God also gives us relationships, and he wants us to steward both of them well. But it's difficult. Our lives can feel so full at work or school or with our hobbies, our interests, and we can have so much going on that we think, oh, man, my life is so full, and yet we're actually relationally empty. So the challenge for us as followers of Jesus Christ is to not buy into this lie that responsibilities are enough, that a hobby is enough, that a job is enough. We need to remember that God has designed us to need people as well as purpose. And so for some of us, we're in a great space. 
We're like, yes, I know this. I've, I've learned this maybe in my family of origin. Maybe I learned this growing up. Maybe I've learned this post-college, and, you know, whatever. Like we, we, some of us are in a great spot and we have other believers who are running the same direction as us, who we can share our, our thoughts or desires. We can, we can turn on all the lights with those people. We trust them and we ch- challenge each other and we encourage each other. That's awesome. But I know that some of us aren't quite there. Or maybe we had it in the past, but it's, we're in a season where that's kind of drifted to the wayside. So my encouragement, my challenge for us is that as we begin this year, as we're looking at the way God is preparing us for a purpose, we have to remember that we are called by the Lord to find people to run with. We need people. As I said, some of us are in a great spot. Some of us, we need opportunity to find and build or maybe rebuild some meaningful relationships. That's one of the reasons that here at Southwood, we go to such great lengths to provide so many opportunities for you to find people that love the Lord, that want to follow Jesus with their lives, that you can run alongside of, that you can challenge and encourage in your day-to-day life. That's why we have men's Bible studies. That meet on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday nights. We have women's Bible studies that meet on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday nights. We have community groups that meet just about every week or just about every night of the week. We have a class right now called Cultivate, and it's running this Sunday and the next two Sundays at the nine o'clock service, so at this time in the parking lot portable. And the whole purpose of that class is to essentially be your launch pad, to be your first step into meaningful. God-focused community. And we put these things together not because we're trying to build out a roster or, or you know, check some boxes. We, we do these things. We put this together. We present these opportunities because we know this is God's best design for our lives. This is how God prepares us to live the faithful life is by surrounding us with other people. So I would encourage you, if this is not something you're a part of, now's a great time to start. There's a card in the seat in front of you that's got codes on it. One of them is join a small group. I would encourage you, scan it. Take it home with you or scan it with your phone right now. And, and use this opportunity. Seize the moment to find your people, to run alongside of, that you turn on all the lights with. You can trust them. You, you love each other. You challenge each other. You equip each other. And you recognize that God has brought you together for his purpose. That's what Timothy had. Paul says, I want you to remember your people. I also want you to remember the gifts and abilities that God has given you. If you read with me a little bit further in verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul says, because of this, I remind you to rekindle God's gift that you possess through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So not only does Paul remind Timothy of how God has prepared him with people, he reminds Timothy of how God has prepared him with specific gifting and ability. And so Paul draws Timothy's mind back to a moment that we don't have recorded where where Paul apparently laid hands and probably was in a a church body. This may have taken place in Ephesus itself. He says, we we gathered together, we laid hands on you, and we we acknowledged the gift that God had given you. And this laying on of hands, uh, it's not a transfer of power and ability, but it's a recognition Right, the same way that when you graduate high school, uh, they give you a diploma. That diploma does not transfer knowledge into your mind. Right? That diploma is not what magically gives you all the knowledge of like second, second, or 22nd president of America, uh, Grover Cleveland. Like, like, that's not what happens when they give you the diploma. What happens is they're simply giving you this piece of paper that, that acknowledges and recognizes 
the knowledge you've already gained and the gifts that you've already been, been given. Paul is saying, we laid hands on you to recognize the power that God alone gave to you through his spirit. And what we're told in Scripture, if we, you know, if we read earlier from one of his letters to the church in Corinth, God, or Paul spoke a lot to the church in Corinth about gifts and abilities that God gives to his people. These gifts, these spiritual gifts that God gives to the members of his church for the purpose of building up and growing the church itself. So there's, there's all kinds of gifts. We don't have one per, you know, super list, but, but we know in, from multiple points in Scripture that there's spiritual gifts like hospitality and faith and discernment and, and teaching. And there's all these different ways that God equips his people to, to build up the body and to proclaim the gospel to the world around us. So Paul's reminding Timothy, he says, God has given you gifting. God has given you ability. No one is immune from this. We have all received. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've been adopted into the family of God, if you've become then a member of the body of Christ, God has promised that he has gifted you for a purpose, that he's preparing you for his mission. So Paul's saying, Timothy, remember that God has empowered you and equipped you through his might, through his spirit. So then as you remember this, that's what emboldens you then, verse eight, to not be ashamed, to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake. But by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. For he is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our works, but on his own purpose and grace, granted to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now made visible through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus. And he has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to remember the unique giftings and abilities that God has given to you. For Timothy in particular, he was called to lead a local church. He was called to teach and preach the gospel. He was called to disciple young men and, and raise others up in the faith, just as he had been raised. That was Timothy's goal. That was, that was one of his uh, uh, purposes. That's one of the things that God equipped him for. But Paul says, it's, you have to remember that even in the midst of all those good things God has called you to, all those great gifts that God has given to you, he's reminding him, but remember, the greatest gift that you have received, Timothy, is the grace of God. The greatest gift you've received is the fact that Jesus Christ has broken the power of death, that Jesus Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news of what he's accomplished. And, and that's true for all of us. We have to remember that, that the bedrock of our faith, the bedrock of our, our lives in the local church is all founded upon the grace of God that we all need the same grace. We all have to recognize on some level that we were dead and lifeless and broken apart from the power of God, that, that our relationship with him was, was fractured and frayed and irreparable on our end. And yet Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that none of us could live, to die the death that we all deserve because of our sin. And then he rose again on the third day to prove his power and authority over the sin and the brokenness and the failure that otherwise held us captive. And suddenly we no longer have to live and remain as children of wrath, but we can be adopted into the family of the Lord Most High, sons and daughters of God, our Father, our King. Paul says, this is the gift that you've received. This 
is the power of the gospel. This is what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. So we have to remember we are all, that that ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all in need of the grace of God and praise the Lord that he is the one who provides restoration. Because even as I talk about these people that we can be surrounded by or these, these gifts that God has given to us, maybe some of us, we, we look at our lives and we're like, man, I just, I don't really see that. I haven't really experienced that or I don't, I don't really feel that. Some of us have brokenness in our origin point. A lot of us have, have faults and failures and mistakes that others have made or that we ourselves have made. And, and we look at our lives and we might think, gosh, I just, I've, I've lost, I missed the mark or maybe you know, I'm too far gone. Maybe I've just sort of given up on this pursuit or and using that gift because I, mean, I tried this one time, but everyone, did, you know, no, it didn't really click when I tried to like serve in this way or when I tried to, te- and so I don't know, I'm just kind of given up on it. And, and I want you to hear that, that God has not given up on us. Timothy made mistakes. It's not that Paul's reaffirming Timothy because Timothy was perfect. Paul's affirming Timothy because as Timothy, you can remember that God is at work within you that Christ died for you. So Timothy, be bold and unashamed. Even when you suffer, even when you struggle, remember that God provides restoration. Timothy, remember that all of us need to accept the grace of God. It's true for Timothy, it's true for us. It's one of the reasons that we're studying the book of James this spring. It's because it's focused upon the faithful life of what does it look like to walk faithfully following Jesus. Not a life that's perfect, but a life that is rooted and grounded and firmly planted in the grace of God, which empowers us and emboldens us to live lives that are are pleasing to him. Paul says, I want you to accept the grace of God along with these other gifts, these abilities, these passions, these unique ways that God has designed you. He says, and you're gonna use all of this preparatory work. You're gonna use these people. You're gonna use this community. You're gonna use these gifts all for an ultimate end goal. And he, gets, he starts to talk about it in verse 13. He says, Timothy, I want you to hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me and do so with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now protect that good thing entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He says, Timothy, this is your goal, to hold to the standard of the gospel, to hold to the sound words that you've heard, to protect that good thing entrusted to you, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Protect that, hold fast to it, in good times and in bad. In chapter two, verse two, Timothy, or Paul says, Timothy, I want you to take what you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. He says, Timothy, I want you to guard this good news. He says, and then I want you to share it. I want you to entrust this good news to others who will entrust it to others. I want you to multiply your life. I want you to seek after the Lord for the sake of others. I want you to see that that God has designed your life to not be all about you, but more about him and more about his people that he's brought before you. And that's why Paul kind of closes out his letter in chapter four, if you'll turn with me a page or two. In chapter four, he kind of gives this, this very closing admonition and charge to Timothy, speaking from his own experience as Paul, the apostle, speaking from his experience, he gives Timothy kind of this this goal line. He gives him this north star. He gives him this point on the horizon that his life is all about, that it's meant to chase. If you look in chapter four, starting in verse five, he says, you, Timothy, however, 
Be self-controlled in all things and endure hardship. Do an evangelist's work. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already beginning, I'm already being poured out as an offering and the time for me to depart is at hand. But I've competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul says, you've been learning from me and growing with me through all these years. He says, Timothy, don't miss this. Don't miss the end goal of my life. It's to be poured out as an offering. Paul says, my life was not spent seeking my own comfort, my own power, my own accomplishment. My life has been poured out for the sake of the mission of God to equip the saints, to prepare others for their purpose. Right? That's what it all comes down to. That's why he says, Timothy, I want you to fulfill this ministry. I want you to keep this faith. I want you to recognize that all this preparation that God has given to you is for the purpose of preparing others as well. And that's the purpose that we've all been given. It's the purpose we've all received. To live lives that are less about us, that are more about our God and his people, the people around us. That's why Jesus says that the greatest command that you've ever received is to love the Lord your God with all that you have, with all that you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what everything hinges upon because it's the mark of a life that is lived according to Jesus' example and model. It's the mark of a life that is based upon sacrifice. And Paul says that's what we're called to, to be poured out, to run this race, to trust that the reward comes not in this world, not in my bank account, not in the square footage of my house. It doesn't come with the, the lifestyle that I lead or the, the behavior of my children. He says the true, reward, the true reward that you're chasing in life is for the Father of your God to, to call you to himself and to declare, as Jesus says, that you have been good and faithful. You've done well, good and faithful servant. Says, That's what we're called to a life that is spent living for the will of God. And yes, does God bless us in this life? Can we still have a healthy bank account or square footage or, or great kids? Yes, absolutely. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is that we would live a life dedicated to the mission of God. And yet it's hard for us to hold fast to that because motivation often struggles in mystery. And the life of an evangelist, this evangelist work that Paul calls Timothy to, that we're all called to, there's a lot of mystery there. We're told that, that we can plant seeds and we can try to water the ground, and yet it's only God who causes growth. And sometimes we see fruit of, of the, the lives that we lead. Sometimes we see the Lord show up in big ways when we share the gospel or when we try to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. But sometimes we don't. Or sometimes it takes a really long time. I was in youth ministry here at Grace for six years. And I'll tell you, it's a mysterious place where we would lead Bible studies and I'd prep sermon series. We'd go on these big retreats and we'd put on all these events. We would do all this amazing stuff that we're like, yes, we're going to point them to the Lord. We're going to show them Jesus. And, you know, maybe we have some big crosstalk thing or we have, you know, just this perfect Sunday series where we're walking through the spiritual disciplines. We're walking through whatever. And we would get to the end of these things and I'd sit down with eighth grade guys. Be like, what do you think? And they'd say, are, are, do we have snacks soon? Or like... Mom, can my mom come get me? Like that, just like time and again, time and again, what I learned 
was that I, one, I could not live for the applause of man because it would never come. It would never come from a junior high boy. I also learned that, gosh, there is a lot of mystery and there's a lot of unseen work that God is doing in the hearts and minds of the people around us that we just have to trust to him because the alternative is despair. I mean, there's nothing else. But that's true for us, that we can struggle. We, we can say, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live according to the will of the Lord in my workplace or with my family. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, share the gospel, or I'm trying to, to, to live according to God's purposes and be forgiving or be thankful. And yet, many times, we can dedicate ourselves to these purposes, and we can obey the commands of God, but we don't see that immediate result. When we don't see the results, we, we begin to lose our reasoning. When we're in the midst of that mystery, we begin to lose our motivation. We think, gosh, what's the point? But what we're told, Scripture, what we can hang our hat on, is that God sees our lives, that God values our work. The Lord has called us to live lives that are, that are lived according to his purposes, and that it's not wasted. And so every single one of us are called to live pursuing this purpose that God has given to us. And there's a variety of ways we can do that. We can pursue the purposes of God in our workplace, in our families, in our, in our friend groups, uh, in our classes. Like we, we can see how the Lord has given us opportunities to share the gospel or has given us opportunities to, to, to forgive as we've been forgiven. And I'm not sure exactly where we're, what we're all being called to at this moment. But I'll tell you that there is so much opportunity. If we are willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to reveal that opportunity, opportunity to us. I know in my life, God is never shy about giving me that opportunity. And in fact, even just here at Southwood, we have so much opportunity. You're going to hear a little bit more about it at the end of our service this morning of ways that you can be a part of us serving, glorifying the Lord and serving his people, even just week in, week out here with us on Sunday mornings where we can use our giftings, we can use the different ways God has equipped us and empowered us to, to, to bring glory to his name, but to also show his love and hospitality to other people, whether it's through being a part of our hospitality team or, or joining us on our worship team or serving in production or in children's or youth, wherever. God has given us opportunity right here, right now, to pursue this purpose that he's given us, to be prepared to prepare others, right? That preparation for the purpose of pre preparing other people. It's a lot of peace. Pa, pa, pa. That's how God moves. That's what he's called us to. Now, as I said, I don't know where we all are. I don't know where we're all coming from, where we're all headed, um, but you do, you know. And so actually what we're going to do to, before we sing one more song and, kinda, and close out our worship this morning, uh, my hope is that we could spend a little bit of time in prayer. Uh, and that we would spend time in prayer, not just as isolated individuals, but that we would spend time in prayer as a gathered body, recognizing that God has put us in this place around the people that we're around for a reason, for a purpose. And so I would ask and challenge you maybe to find a couple people around you. Here in a moment, find a couple people around you. Maybe you came with them. That's okay. Maybe you didn't. That's great. And you introduce yourself really quickly and say, like, oh, hey, I'm Mike and I'm Julie and Great. And after that, you share with that person. My goal, my hope, is that we would take this time to share very briefly with one another. Okay, this is what the Lord has, this is an opportunity that God has given to me. 
It's, it's in a way to, to build community or relationship. I, I know that God desires that I would be in deeper community. I know that God, uh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe part of it is maybe you say, man, I know that God has called me to accept his grace more in my life. And, and you can be as specific or as general as you want, but I only ask that you be brief. But you say, okay, this is how God has maybe called me to community. Maybe this is how God has called me to accept his grace. Or maybe I, I know that God has called me to, to use my gifting for his purpose in the lives of others here within our church or maybe outside of it. But find a few people, maybe you came with them, maybe you didn't, introduce yourself, briefly share, and then let's take a few minutes to actually pray that God would give us more guidance, that God would give us motivation, that God would open opportunities, that we would live according to his purpose, all right? So find those people, share, pray, ready, set, go.